You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Activia. Activia offers a range of yogurts that help support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. This is an Irish independent podcast. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello, welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, I'm sure, like me, you find that life can feel like a real juggle from work, relationships, or money. It can be really hard to find the time to fit it all in and have some space left over for yourself. Even trying to change your routines or habits can be a real challenge for some people. It's no wonder many of us feel stressed or overwhelmed, meaning our mental health takes a hit and we get into the negative thought pattern. But there are some simple techniques that we can incorporate into a day that can help us ditch some of those thoughts that can be so harmful to our mental health. Well, this week, I'm delighted to be joined by psychotherapist, Sunday Times bestselling author and former NHS clinical lead for mental health, Owen O'Kane. Owen's new book, How to Be Your Own Therapist, gives us just these type of solutions to be happier and a healthier mental self. Owen, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, Carl. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very good. So first of all, how's life? I haven't talked to you for a little while. How are things? Life's good. Yeah, I'm kind of enjoying sort of some degree of normality again. I've started to do, you know how when you're doing gigs and stuff, a lot of my gigs were by Zoom or Skype during lockdown. So it's good to actually, you know, go in and do talks and stuff again. I'm really enjoying the being out and about and doing the job properly again. So now I'm good and um, planning a holiday, which is lovely. And yeah. Good. You sound very, very calm and content and happy. It's exactly what myself and all our listeners want to get out of this episode. <laughs> so hey, let's let's get cracking. Chat to me all about therapy. You're a therapist, and you've said you've said that you've been to therapy and it changed your life. First of all, can everyone benefit from therapy? One hundred percent. I mean, you you probably find this interesting. So you you're a PT, Carl, and you you work with people's fitness and their diet and their lifestyle, and I'm sure you'd probably agree that most people could do with you at some level to help motivate them and push them along a bit. I think it's exactly the same when it comes to our mental well-being because most of us haven't really been taught the the skills of what we need to do in adult life. So I mean, if you think of all of the difficulties for most adults, it's either around the way they think the way they manage their emotions, the way they behave. And that's mainly because most people in their formative years aren't taught how to manage emotions. They're not really taught how to manage unhelpful thoughts. So I guess really I think that's where the benefit of therapy comes in. It's kind of almost like teaching you um, how to manage all of this stuff that we've just never been taught. That's essentially what therapy is. Okay, so it's giving you a a toolkit or a skill set to be able to handle these challenging thoughts that... You know, the reality is all of us will be faced with it at some stage, but we don't know how to handle it. So therapy gives you that tool set to be able to handle it. I think it's it's all of that, but it also helps you understand who you are as a human being. You know, because often we, we get tied up in knots and we struggle and we don't know what the hell's going on. And I think good therapy will help you kind of unravel that and make, and make sense of, OK, this is why I'm anxious or this is why my mood's low or this is why I struggle in relationships, whatever the context might be, good therapy will help you go back to to Kenny on tie your story really and join the dots together and think, ah, okay, that makes total sense. This is why I've developed this pattern. And of course, like any pattern, if you've learned a negative pattern, then you can unlearn a more helpful pattern. So I mean, essentially it's all about good psychological flexibility. I mean, that's my focus with most clients. It's about how can you become psychologically more flexible and more importantly, how can you get the best of your life? And I think therapy can help people do that. 
So in many respects, you have to look for look back to go forward. So, you know, if you have an issue around anxiety or, or around how you deal with situations, it's not just a situation. It's looking back a little bit first. Absolutely. And I, that, that's probably going to sound contradictory because I'm a big advocate of not getting stuck in the past too much because I think a lot of people do hold on to the past and they stay there and they, they find it hard to move forward. But in the book, I talk about the importance of being able to map your story together. So it's important that you go back and tell your story, you know, from the beginning, as far back as you can remember and tell the story truthfully so that you can then make sense of, OK, the, these are the things that happened to me. These are the things that went wrong. These are the things that were less than ideal. They're my story and they help me understand who I am. But again, it's about the recognition. That's where you're going to find the solutions to moving forward. And if you don't really know who you are and you don't know what your story is and you don't know how it impacts on you, then you're a bit powerless. You can't do anything about that. So the going back and having to dig around a bit and exploring the story is a really big important. It's an important part of the process. You can't really do therapy without it, to be honest. And you think with regards to therapy that there's still a, a stigma around it uh, in terms of maybe saying that you're going to a therapist or, or making that first phone call to go to a therapist, that there's still a stigma attached to it? It's a brilliant question. I mean, we, we had a real dilemma when I was doing this book because, there, you know, in, in America, we don't have stigma around therapy. In America, people are very comfortable to talk about therapy. I think in the UK and Ireland and parts of Europe, there is still a bit of uncomfortableness about therapy and what it might mean to have a therapist. And when I sat down to do the book, I thought, I'm not going to take the word therapy. There was a lot of deliberation about what we call the book. And I thought, I'm not taking the word therapist out of it because that's exactly what I'm trying to teach people. I'm trying to teach people how they can become their own therapist. Because, you know, essentially we all have that sort of, we all have that inner voice and inner wisdom and insight and knowing that, you know, we know the way forward, but very often it gets cluttered and it gets, you know, overburdened by everything else. And I, I guess really I wanted to talk about therapy in a very open non-apologetic way because you know i think the more we have the conversation about therapy being a helpful thing then the, the more we all move forward and catch up a bit and, and i guess really what the book's trying to do is that it recognizes that therapy can be expensive for a lot of people or weightless for therapy or crazy to be quite honest so what i've tried to do in the book is to create something that people can start it on i'm not saying it's a replacement for therapy but they can at least get started on the work and, you know, for me, that's everything, because the moment you get started, you're halfway there. And tell me a bit more about the benefits of, of therapy to the brain. Like I know, you know, when you talk to someone, maybe even if it's not a therapist, even just talking to a friend or whatever, you know, you talk it out, you feel better. So there, there is a, a psychological impact to the brain. But tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good point because people think that therapy is just about going along and having a chat. And actually it isn't. This book's quite an active book. Therapy is about doing. So, OK, there is a degree of talking and thinking and reflecting and all of that. It's a part of the process. But the biggest part is the, the actions you take from what from what you learn. And if you think, for example, Carl, of someone who's had trauma in their life, and a lot of people have been through childhood trauma. So when you've had trauma in your life, very often the memory doesn't get processed properly. And when the memory isn't processed properly, it means it sits on the wrong part of the brain. And if you've got a trauma memory that's unprocessed, um, it will stay on the right-hand side of the brain. And of course, that's where a lot of our anxiety mechanisms are driven from the right-hand side of the brain. So what you get is if you've got an unprocessed memory, you get the memory creating difficulty today, just as it did back at the time. 
And that's what good therapy will do. When you process a memory and you help someone work through it, you actually move the memory and you process it. And it then is located on a different part of the brain. On the left-hand side, there's a part of the brain called the hippocampus. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to put the memory away almost into a library, saying, yeah, that did happen and it was terrible and it wasn't great, but actually it doesn't define your life. And once it's kind of almost been dealt with and processed, the brain will almost allow you to get on with your life. Whereas a non-processed memory or situation will get in the way of your life and essentially that's what you're doing so it's more than just talking you're you're unraveling lots of stuff but you're actually putting things into place where they need to be does that make sense yeah it does oh absolutely one of the things you say in the book is that it's the response to an experience rather than the experience itself that has the biggest psychological impact tell me a little bit more about that and that why you think that is you know all the research in psychology points to the fact that you know Two, two people can have the same experience, but it won't impact on, on them in the same way. But what we know now is that how you respond to an adverse event has a huge predictor in the outcome and how you're going to be longer term. So often, you know, for example, if someone has had a really terrible experience in their life, if they then decide to process it and deal with that as negative or they feel powerless or they feel disempowered or a victim of what's happened, then they're going to struggle psychologically probably for a long period of time. Whereas if somebody's able to reclaim ownership and think, okay, something bad happened to me, but actually I have a choice in the way I'm going to respond and the way I'm going to deal with it, then they reclaim the power. So I guess really all of this book is about reclaiming power and realizing it doesn't matter how terrible it was or how difficult things have been. You still have the option and the choice to reclaim your power back. And I think for me, that's what I love about my job. And I think that's what I found really exciting about writing this book is it's about giving something back that helps people reclaim their life folks you're listening to real health with me carl henry in association with lay healthcare or chatting chatting all things therapy with own okay and own chat to me about this the mad stat in the book about how many thoughts a day we have and the thinking isn't the problem but it's the kind of thinking that is harmful not not the, the thinking itself yeah th- thoughts are really interesting so you, neuroscientists tell us you've got about 60 to eighty thousand thoughts a day which is a lot of thoughts, you know, in a 24-hour period. But they take it a bit further and they know that about 60% of those thoughts can be either negative or critical in nature because we're still kind of primarily hardwired to be in threat and defense mode. Now, if you think about how difficult day-to-day life can be, if you're walking around with a lot of critical negative thinking on top of that, that's going to create a lot of burden and difficulty in your life. So what I talk about a lot in the book is the recognition that you know, your, your thoughts are not a fact. You know, often we have a thought and we believe it to be true and factual, when actually very often thoughts are just random events. They're just habitual patterns that come up over and over and over again. And I talk a lot about how to manage unhelpful thoughts, you know, how to manage the critical thoughts, the negative thoughts, self-deprecation, um, judging yourself, giving yourself a hard time. If you've fallen into those kind of thought patterns, there's a way out of that there because you can see them for what they are, which is just unhelpful patterns. And you can learn ways of recognizing them for that and not over-engaging in them. And, and that's pretty incredible. When you teach people hard to disengage from that, they really do get a huge chunk of their life back. And is, and is, is it that simple? Like, so we all have those kind of thoughts, right? We all get, I get them. We, you know, when anyone listens to the podcast or what if I, what if I, if I slur my way through the podcast or I can't speak or I can't get the words out or my stammer returns or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and is it that simple that you, 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 
it's the objectivity to step back from those and realize, you know what, that's just a, a nervous reaction to the fact that I'm nervous going into a chord. It's not real. It won't happen. And it, to be able to step back from it. Can I ask you a question, if you don't mind, Carl? Oh. <laughs> it is therapy now. Come on, you're not going to get off that lately. <laughs> can you can you think of a time recently when you fell into a, a situation where you started to think negatively about something and you fell into a pattern of oh, absolutely, or... absolutely. We just yeah, we just launched launched a product line. Why don't we work with a live example? If you can, if you've got an example, you don't mind sharing. Absolutely, we built up to a big product launch recently. We launched nationwide with with Dunn Stores, and the the big fear is, what if nobody buys it? Nine months of hard work and and uh, all of that. And what if it goes into the store and people don't like it, or someone DMs me on Instagram and tells me it's terrible or it's awful, or the whole thing just goes belly up and you you blow it into a huge big catastrophe, right? Because that's just what you do, and you self you talk yourself into this big catastrophe of of how terrible it's going to be. Okay, and what would be the worst thing that happens? So you know, let, let let's take it to the worst possible scenario. It's a catastrophe. It feels it doesn't work out well. What would be the worst thing? At that there, that's it. Nobody buys it, or you know, or, or or it just it just fails. You know, it doesn't work. And what does that mean for you? Failure. Oh, this is getting very deep. Oh dear, the pressure. Yeah, no. Fa- it means fa- it means abs- it's taking a risk and the risk not working, which 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 is you know it just not not working out. So failure, I suppose, is probably the word. Okay, so right, fair enough. So your your mind's basically you've got all this. You've, your mind's creating a story about what if could go. You know, all the what if. This could go wrong, that could go wrong. But the bottom line for you is the fear sounds like is what if this proves me a failure? Does that sound reasonable? That's very reasonable. Yeah. Okay. So w- where's the evidence in your life that you're a failure? Oh, very little. Because <laughs> uh, I actually don't view failure as a thing, right? I don't view fa- I, I try everything and, and sometimes stuff doesn't doesn't work, but that's, you know, so I'd be, I'd be, I'd be glass half full. Yeah. But, you know, you, you've done a lot with your life. You've achieved a lot in your life. You've got a lot of things that you've done that you're very proud of. I, you know, I watch your Instagram account. I know what you're up to and I know what you're doing. You're doing some incredible stuff. But can you see where the mind will take you? So you've got all of this incredible stuff going on. And then something new comes in and the mind starts to create a different story. What if, what if, what if? And the bottom line then starts to go, what if you're exposed as a failure? When the reality is actually it's a, it's an almost an, a nonsense narrative. Because even if that worst thing happened, it doesn't define you as a failure. It just defines you as someone who tried a venture that didn't work for them. But that doesn't define failure. So do you see how you can map it out in a very, very different way? And even if you think of, you know, the what if type thinking that came up earlier, what if it goes wrong? What if this doesn't happen? What we again know from neuroscience and psychology research is that 90 percent of things that you worry about will never come to fruition. So all of these worries and what ifs that we create, the vast majority never happen. So I think th- this is the sort of stuff that I think it's really worth taking on board and listening to because, you know, when we realize that, then we've got the power and freedom to start letting a lot of stuff go. And of course, for people who listen into that, you, you, you know, you brought me through that therapy process. It's somebody asking the questions. And I suppose for the book, it's teaching people to be able to ask those questions themselves and 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 to avoid going down that road of, of, of negative thoughts and the what if thinking that but if you can stop and ask those questions that you you see the bigger picture yeah it's not even about stopping to ask the questions so i mean if i'm working with a client that you know my goal with every single client i work with in therapy first session and i'll, I'll be straight up with them at the beginning is my goal is to move them on as quickly as i can do and deal with all that we need to deal with. But my job is 
enough for them to need me. My job is that they become their own therapist by the end of the work. And, and in an ideal world, I don't want to see them again. And I don't mean that to be rude or, you know, disinterested, but I don't want to see them again because I want to empower them to be able to do the work themselves. And it's almost like I, I was describing to someone recently. It's almost like when things are difficult, it's almost like getting on a helicopter and almost pulling back so that rather than getting engrossed in what's going on in the situation, what you're aiming to do is you're aiming to form that skill, really, of pulling back every time things are difficult and think, OK, I'm not going to get immersed in this, but I am going to note what's happening. I'm going to know what's going on with my thoughts. I'm going to know what's going on with my emotions at the moment. and I'm going to know what behaviours and decisions I can make at the minute that are going to help me out. So you almost kind of skill up very, very quickly in the difficult moments and thinking, OK, I've got this. I know exactly what I need to do, but I'm not going to repeat what I normally do. So most people, Carl, will fall into the habits of, you know, something goes wrong, their day doesn't go to plan, they get let down, they get disappointed, something bad happens at work. Most people will fall into the trap of going for the old critical negative thoughts. Then the difficult emotions come up and they try and push the emotions down. And then most people will then fall into behaviours that don't help them or suit them well. So people get caught in vicious circles and manage situations the way they've always done, but more than often not with a good outcome. Is it fair to say that a little bit of self-compassion goes a long way, that we need to learn to be a little bit more compassionate to ourselves and, and not, not necessarily easy on ourselves, but just, you know, a bit more compassionate? I, I mean, to be honest, I think going easy on yourself is probably a must. People hear self-compassion. It's an interesting one. I mean, I've, I was talking about this again recently with somebody, and I think it's the old Irish Catholic thing in me. I don't know if you, if you have similar views on this, Carl, but... You know, self-compassion for me, even in my line of work as a therapist, that was a real toughie for me because I felt self-compassion all sounded a bit self-indulgent and I didn't like it. When I often heard self-compassion talked about, I often would cringe a bit and think, oh, that all sounds a bit a bit woolly and a bit too self-indulgent. Whereas actually what I really do know now is that um, self-compassion and learning to not give yourself a hard time is probably the most important ingredient in all of this stuff. Because the minute you've got that, then suddenly you haven't got an enemy living within. You've got somebody who every time things don't work out or things are difficult, you've got an internal voice that's much kinder and saying, that's all right, it doesn't matter, we've got this, we'll work it out, we'll find a solution, we'll get away through this here. And that's a much better voice than someone screaming, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you know, you're a failure, you're not good enough, you're rubbish. So it's about replacing that voice with a, you know, if you think about, you know, if you knock about with a mate who's an idiot and he gives you a hard time, it's not going to be a lot of fun, you know, having somebody like that in your life. Whereas if you've got mates who are uplifting and supportive and kind and have your back, they're the sort of people that you want in your life. You're trying to create that similar internal tone. And that it's an interesting point that are in the, the people you surround yourself with. So putting the therapy aside for a minute, but in terms of mental health, feeling good, feeling good about yourself presumably that 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 network is really important that you surround yourself with a network of people who are compassionate who are positive who you know as opposed to that being surrounded by like a negative narrative and presumably that that is an incredibly important part of part of wellness and mental wellness i think it is i i talked in one of my previous books about um two types of people in your life you have radiators and drains and radiators are the people who you know they warm you up they lift you up they they charge you and drains are the people who literally saturate and suck all your energy and you know 
And I think it's it's a hard thing to do sometimes, but I think it's important. And part of the therapy process is that you stop and evaluate your life. And you look and you think, okay, who are the key people in my life? Who are the people who build me up and support me? And we have a give and take relationship measured against the other relationships that are maybe not as supportive and helpful and maybe a bit more one-sided. And I think sometimes we all have to reevaluate and make decisions about who we spend our time with and where our energy goes because, you know, you, you, you become the people you surround yourself with. I do believe that. And I think sometimes you have to make really clever choices about surrounding yourself with the right people. If there were three simple takeaways you want the people who are listening in today to take away for their mental health and their mental well-being from the episode, what would those three be? And I, I always hate asking, what? sometimes I don't hate asking these questions because they're hard questions, but they're, I think they're important questions to ask too because, you know, Everyone who listens in takes something from the show. And I think it's always nice to ask guests, if you wanted them to take three key ones, what would those three be? Probably the three key things would be is, you know, look as a, as a human being, you need to understand how you tick and how you operate. Because otherwise, it's a bit like getting into a car without knowing how to drive a car. So I think the importance of being able to stop and check in what's going on for you is probably one of the most important things. Most people are just car crashing through their day because they don't know what's going on. So the importance of stopping and just working out, okay, what's going on for me today? That is crucial because when you do that, then immediately you regain a sense of control. I think the second thing is the the importance of being able to segregate and stand back from the difficult stuff rather than become immersed in it and then suddenly become difficult stuff you know you hear people all the time say stuff like it's all terrible it's all awful my life's a mess they almost be they get caught up in the difficulties whereas the ability to be able to stand back and look at it objectively is really really important and the third thing might sound really cliched but i do believe it's true is that you know everything that's going on in your life at the moment everything is temporary even the tough stuff none of it's permanent and everything passes and it will evolve and move on. So particularly for anybody who is having a particularly tough time at the minute, it's just that constant reminder that this is a temporary period. And these temporary periods, particularly when it's difficult, it doesn't mean that it's wrong or bad. It just means that life's probably teaching you something at the minute. And there's an opportunity to grow here and to develop. Um, and I know that's bloody hard when you're in the thick of it. But if you can see the darker periods as a, an opportunity for change and growth, then you can do something really incredible with that. Owen, as ever, fantastic content, fantastic tips. If people want to follow you, uh, where can they find you? And remind me when the book is out as well. Well, the book is out on the 23rd of June and it's called How to Be Your Own Therapist. And the um, I'm on mostly on Instagram. So it's Owen O'Kane 10, all one word and Owen is spelt with an O. Um, and I try and create regular videos and um, just general content on everyday stuff like anxiety, mood, trauma, loss, all of the everyday stuff that we all struggle with. So if, you, if you're on Instagram, come by and say hello. Owen, as ever, it's been great to catch up and the very best of luck with the new book, folks. That's it for another episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. We are back next week for more Real Health. As ever, you know where we are, at Carl Henry PT on Instagram. We're no longer on Twitter because they're all cranky over there. And it's Real Health and Independent.ie. We'll see you next week for more Real Health. Slán Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Pride sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.